you're listening to the Necromancers of the Northwest podcast, your number one source for banter, opinions, and editorials about tabletop gaming. If you skipped last week's podcast because you were hoping to avoid our Dragon Week special, I've got bad news for you. We devoted last week's podcast to highlighting some of the design goals that Monty Cook and Mike Merles have been tossing around for 5th edition, a playtest of which should have come out a week or so ago for you, by the way. And so we missed out on a chance to talk about all the things draconic because we were too busy voicing praise and or concerns for the 5th edition hype. As we said last week, that means that this week we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite flying, fire-breathing lizard. So strap on tight, it's going to be a bumpy ride. As is often the case, we're going to open things up with a review, and not surprisingly for the Dragon Week special, that review is going to have something to do with dragons. Today's fair is quite possibly the most inappropriately named book I have ever seen, as you'll find out shortly. Entitled A Slayer's Guide to Dragons, the book was published by the Mongoose Publishing Company, one of the third-party publishers with a better pedigree and reputation, and, if the credits of the book are to be believed, was written in large part by none other than Gary Gygax, known to many as the father of the Dungeons & Dragons game. How much of the book was really written by Gary and how much by the other author, I couldn't say, but even if all that he wrote was the preface, the fact that he wanted his name associated with the product surely counts for something, right? The book begins with about six pages of more or less pure fluff, discussing dragon physiology and psychology. This section, like the rest of the book, features black and white art of, on just about every other page, with varying degrees of beauty, though for the most part it's all at least passable. Uh, most pages also feature one or more si- little sidebar-like excerpts, which provide quotations from various real-world historical sources which reference dragons, and which, for me at least, help to bring the magic and majesty of this all-important fantasy creature to life. I couldn't really tell you why Herodotus's reports of Asian or Egyptian dragons, especially as short and sparse as they are, were worthy of inclusion in the book, but I really do feel that their presence throughout the entire book uh, helped to lend it an air of magic and wonder. Unlike what one might expect from a Slayer's Guide, this discussion of dragon physiology and psychology does not focus on their weaknesses or even on the various threats and dangers they pose. Rather, they glorify the dragon, focusing on what a majestic and powerful creature it is. In fact, the entire book reads a lot less like the Slayer's Guide to Dragons and a lot more like the GM's Guide to Using Dragons Well. Don't get me wrong, I prefer the product this way, immensely, but I just want to make sure that you don't rush out uh, to buy it thinking that it will help your Dragon Slayer be more effective. It is not going to do that at all. In any event, after this section, we move on to the Draco Invictus, which is a pretentiously named but otherwise solid addition to dragons in the form of an age category beyond Great Worm. Such dragons can command lesser dragons of their color, summon Storms of Wrath, whose effects vary based on their color, and utter a powerful death curse on those who slay them, which, unfortunately, has no real rules support. The idea of death throws and storms of wrath that vary from color to color is neat, though, and there are descriptions of what each color gets, as well as statistical information for true dragon, draco, and victi of every color. Uh, It's just unfortunate that the death curse ultimately amounts to it can be more or less whatever you want, and it's a powerful effect, but GMs should arbitrate, blah, blah, blah. No actual mechanical information. Following this is a sort of draconic mini-bestiary, which features five new types of full dragons, by which I mean dragons who have age categories like those found in the bestiary. Uh, These include the Abyssal Serpent and Hellworm, both of which associated with their respective lower planes, the Rock Dragon, the Sea Dragon, and the Web Dragon. Uh, The bestiary also includes a Dragonkin template, which essentially makes a dragon into a humanoid creature, the Mirth Drake, a CR2 tiny dragon associated with Zagig with appropriately chaotic powers, and Baal Shiruat, 
a specific and very powerful hellworm. I personally was a bit nonplussed by this section. Uh, while the Abyssal Serpent had some cool fluff and some theoretically interesting powers, its mechanics were poorly implemented. I personally don't care for the idea of the Dragonkin, but if you want to see your dragons get opposable thumbs, you'll probably still be disappointed this template limits their size to large at the most. Uh, the Hellworm is insanely powerful, and more to the point, is a race comprised entirely of Tiamat clones, meaning they're all five-headed, once they reach a certain age at least. Um, the Mirth Drake would likely make for several fun, lighthearted, silly encounters, but can hardly be considered a real threat. Uh, I like the Rock and Sea Dragons, but don't think that they were implemented in a particularly better way than the dozens of other Rock and Sea Dragons we've seen in various source books throughout the years. Um, I do like the Web Dragons, and think that they were very interesting, uh, though I'm a little concerned that their breath weapon, which takes the form of acidic webs, is said to, and I quote, trap those failing their saving throw for as many rounds as points of damage were inflicted. It doesn't go on to describe what being trapped means mechanically, such as whether such characters uh, can take any actions at all, or if they're just un unable to move, or if they're considered grappled, or any of a number of other possible options, uh, and it gives no information about potentially breaking free. And, of course, those breath weapons can do as much as 10 die 6 points of damage, which will average out to a very long time being stuck in the web. Uh, next comes what may possibly be my favorite section of the book, a discussion of the different types of layers various dragons might create by color. Uh, this section not only describes information about typical layers of dragons of that color, uh, most of the descriptions come with a suggested mechanical effect, and all of the chromatic dragons, plus the new dragons introduced in this book, have an entire sample layer laid out as a miniature dungeon. Uh, some of the layers are, to be frank, uninspired, and some of the mechanical suggestions, for example, noxious gases in black or green dragon's lair, are a little bit overpowered uh, and, and may be a bit swingy for your group. But for the most part, they're fun and interesting and make you want to play with dragons. Uh, the only real complaint that I have about this section is that, uh, for probably fairly obvious reasons, they, they decided not to provide dungeon information for the uh, metallic dragons, uh, presumably on the assumption that no one would ever use them because no one ever fights metallic dragons. Still, it, it felt a bit jarring that um, those after their sections just were missing that large section. After this is a brief interlude about Draconic Society. The short version, there isn't much of one. Before moving on to discuss an obvious yet o often overlooked aspect of the color system of true dragons, crossbreeding. The book gives information upon draconic cr crossbreeds in the form of a template which lets you mix any two colors of dragon together. Uh, there's some cool information here. They give the names of the various different types of... Uh, of crossbreeds for all the chromatic dragons, um, and then on, on top of that, they, uh, the the template itself is fairly robust and has uh, has different options for which of the two parents is their genes is dominant, and and there's there's like seven different ways that they can combine. It's it's actually rather robust, and and while being complex, it does so in a way that's rewarding and and doesn't get too much in the way. After this, there's a few pages of talk about a Super Dragon Council, which happens every eon or so, and then the book moves on to discuss draconic tactics with an aim at helping GMs to make encounters with dragons as memorable and as deadly as possible. The advice here is pretty sound, and even though it's written for 3.0, you'll likely find it very helpful. There are also a handful of new feats and spells designed specifically for dragons, as well as some talk about dragons wearing magic items and some weapons designed specifically for draconic bodies. 
At this point, the book returns to draconic psychology with a discussion of how to roleplay a dragon, information on dragons surrendering or being subdued, uh, which has some frankly sketchy rules on that in particular subject, and then information on giving dragons class levels, which I found to be altogether too restrictive and of little, little to no use in most games, as the guideline tends to be that dragons can only gain class levels when they are in human form, and then are unable to use most of their class features unless they are in human form, which, frankly, is silly and nonsensical, as far as I can tell. Your mileage may vary. Finally, the book wraps itself up with four pages of brief adventure hooks involving dragons and a 24-page adventure involving an upstart indigo dragon. That's half blue, half black, in case you were wondering. Uh, the adventure felt rushed to me and far from inspired, and the adventure hooks were somewhat hit or miss. Uh, this was definitely not the best part of the book, in my opinion. Overall, as I said before, the book is poorly named. It's not a slayer's guide to dragons in any sense of the word. It's primarily a book that celebrates dragons as iconic yet underappreciated and oft-misused monsters, and which aims to make you care about dragons, want to use them in your game, and want to make them awesome. You'll need to apply a certain amount of common sense to much of the mechanical things here. It was sadly lacking in many places. But the discussion of dragon lairs, dragon tactics, and role-playing dragons do an admirable job of accomplishing the goal above. So, the final verdict, the book's 126 pages, and even if you only use 40 or so of them, it's available for $4.99 on DriveThruRPG, marked down from $20. Uh, are there better ways you could spend your money on DriveThruRPG? Almost certainly. I can think of several Necromancers of the Northwest products you could get for that amount or less, though I'm more than a little biased on the point. On the other hand, if you want something to really get you pumped about dragons, or if you are already pumped about dragons but are tactically impaired and need good advice on how to make an encounter with a dragon more difficult, you could probably do a lot worse for five bucks as well. Besides, Gary Gygax wrote it. I'm not allowed to not recommend it. Go buy one. All right. Uh, that does sound interesting, and it does, uh, does seem like the kind of thing to get you pumped about dragons. Uh, speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about dragons, as long as, uh, as we're here and it's Dragon Week. Uh, I know that, uh, that for me, the dragon is one, definitely one of the most impressive and iconic monsters in the game. Every time, uh, every time I see one, I go, dragons. And then I tend to move on a lot of the time, because dragons are also one of the most intimidating monsters to, uh, to try to GM in your game. Precisely because they're so impressive and uh, and iconic, you when you have a dragon, you really want it to be the most memorable encounter. And a lot of times, you uh, you fall into the pitfall of okay, so I have a dragon, and it's gonna end up kind of being a monster. That's true. Not only that, there's another reason why dragons are intimidating, and that is that their rules are very, very complicated. Uh, for those of you who, for whatever reason, for those of you who maybe who are, uh, are always players and never GMs and you're never taking the time to look in the bestiary, uh, you may not be aware, but all of you GMs, you know. You go look in the bestiary, you don't see nice, easy stat blocks like uh, like all of the other dragons give you. I guess I think the, the Pathfinder bestiary was a little better about that. Yeah, but better. But uh, but regardless, you know, when you go look at a, a dragon, you get a bunch of really complicated rules about age categories and how many attacks they have and when do they get these special things and when do they get those special things and you have to build things from scratch and do they really get all those attacks? That's a lot of attacks and other questions like that and a, a lot of a lot of other th you know special abilities that you probably don't even want to find out about, let alone figure out how you're going to use effectively. They're a very complicated monster. Yeah, and uh, and you know maybe even worse still when you do see those uh, those sets of numbers and you decide to use a dragon, 
you, you now you feel very uh very sort of obligated to to really drag it out and make sure that uh that every part of the dragon is custom built from scratch from the ground up that he's got to have you know feats that are that are really going to work for him he's got to you know have uh you know better skill ranks cuz those are going to matter probably apart from his you know social modifiers and perception but you know uh maybe this dragon has to have craft instrument making or something because you know he's like that and you know then there's the page of uh, of personality description as well which is nice but obviously your dragon's going to have to have his own personality so you can kind of use that as a guideline which is uh which is obviously how it should be but you know it's just one more thing to add on to the pile uh and then by by the time you end up getting done uh you know two weeks have gone by basically I mean, so it's, it's a lot of your gm time to try to make a dragon from the ground up uh it is nice that uh that the beast jerry does have at several crs uh some some preset stat blocks for when you need a quick dragon though i'm, I'm not sure that uh that that again a quick dragon is necessarily uh the best in uh in my experience uh you know when when you do have a dragon who's got all the uh got all the functional personality of a bear uh, who who rushes out and attacks the uh, the PCs? He, he just loses a lot of that um, you know cool iconic stuff that, that that was supposed to make the dragon exciting in the first place. That's true. Um, there there are generally two schools of thought and two approaches when it comes to uh, when it comes to dragons. Uh, in in many people's cases, dragons are dragons are monsters, and dragons you know they roar and then they attack. Um, there's Definitely times and places for that, and there are, there are times where you will see dragons as, you know, a very impressive magical beast. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons has traditionally taken a very different route, however, where dragons are, um, they're uh, much more magical creatures, even beyond, I guess, what a, a magical beast already is. In in some settings, I'm, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere, you know, they're, they're like, solidified magic uh, incarnate uh, in other settings, perhaps less so, but whatever the case, they are inherently magical, and more importantly, they're they're very intelligent, um, more so often than uh, than than humans. Uh, they take the long view. They're the they're the villain's villain. They are the best of everything. Not only are they super super powerful in combat, and you know they can they can fight with the best of them, but they don't have to because they're also you know they're all supposed to be brilliant schemers and brilliant strategists and. Uh, this again also lends to uh, to making it a little bit more difficult to actually implement them properly in your game, which may be part of why they wind up being bruisers. Uh, one thing that can help with that is, you know, while while you are often going to feel like, hey, I, I really should make uh, make a full stat block, um, you know, that as we've just covered can be a lot of work. And the important thing, oftentimes with the dragon is not their stat block so much as A, how the stat block is implemented, and B, uh, their their personality and their plots and schemes and, and you know, all of the other cool things that make them a, a person and a villain in addition to being a stat block. So, um, one piece of advice that I can throw out there for people who, uh, who want to run dragons but just don't have the time and, and energy to get in there is if you go look online, I'm... Right now, I'm looking on the the www.d20pfsrd.com, uh, but I'm sure you can find similar things in other places. Uh, you know, some very ambitious and um, 
uh, I guess, devoted people have taken the time to, to apply those dragon rules to, to make stat blocks for every dragon color at every age category, which goes above and beyond what the uh, what the bestiary does with, with having like two or three. Now you can go, okay, I need a dragon of this level, and there you go. There's, there's nothing more frustrating than, oh, hey, I know, I'll use a dragon. Oh, it's the wrong age category for uh, for my. Uh, that's they don't have my. I would have to make it from scratch. I don't want to do that. But now you don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, you you can find the stat blocks for free online. Uh, so that is perhaps not half the battle, but uh, but part of the battle in any case. Definitely, there's a lot to be said for for having a resource like that and uh, and that that helping a GM, especially if. Uh, if you did spend a lot of time making a making a dragon who was going to be mostly personality, and then the PCs decide to attack it because it's a dragon, and uh, now all of a sudden you have to either go, okay, hold on, let me put my on the fly hat on, and it's probably going to have these attack numbers right, but now you you actually have something to look at for for a very unusual uh, marginal emergency cases certainly, and you know for for if you do want to have a dragon but you don't you know have 10 years to devote to uh to your your dm prep time you can actually uh you can actually have a stat block there which does dramatically reduce the amount of, and it lets you focus on those uh those sorts of personality issues that can be used to make your dragon a great villain um speaking of uh of dragons as as villains uh you know that that is the uh the traditional role but uh but of course we are provided with uh with exactly half of uh the dragons out there are uh, are designed to be paragons of goodness and virtue uh in, in various different attempts and um you know that's uh that's always been a a sort of interesting thing when you're going through the bestiary it's cool that you see that there's you know all these good dragons and you're like oh that's theoretically cool yeah gold dragons are are the most powerful monster or whatever that's good you know uh you know good triumphs over evil etc um but you know they're a lot harder to use in your average game than uh than a dragon as a villain for uh for, i mean you know a lot of reasons personally i've used uh i i've used good dragons in my game exactly once uh, and, uh, and it didn't necessarily go over the best. He was, a you know, here's a quest I want you to have. Uh, my, uh, my personality is like this. Look at my giant horde. You know, I have an easy way to reward you. Uh, and, uh, actually at the time I needed to replace a character. So, uh, so we, had, we ended up having like a copper dragon wormling who was part of his brood, uh, running around for, uh, for some entertaining antics for a while. But, uh. But you know, ultimately, the uh, the encounter felt really awkward, um, and uh, you know, I remember j just feeling like the uh, like like things didn't quite break my way, and I think there's a lot I could have done differently at the time. So, um, there are obviously it is it is difficult to use uh, those good dragons, just like it's difficult to use the good aligned outsiders and all of that. There are some some things you can do. Most likely, if you're uh, uh, unless you're in a very lucky position of uh, being able to, to GM for for people who have really not been exposed to the game before, you're not going to get away with the villagers going, "Oh, hey, there's a dragon in the hills," and the the players go, "Well, we'll kill it," and then they get there and and it's a silver dragon, but they don't know what that means. It, they know what that means. Uh, on the other hand, you know, you could uh, th there are still ways to get misunderstanding. Uh, you know, wacky hijinks uh, that that can cause PC good aligned PCs to go up against good aligned dragons. Uh, for example, it probably wouldn't be 
um, too terribly unfair uh, for a GM to declare that a uh, specific silver dragon was cursed to appear red. Uh, he looks like a red dragon. Uh, there's some sort of illusion on him. He can't get it off. And so now the PCs get reports of a red dragon. They go to his cave. He's a red dragon. He must be evil. Um, and, you know, then maybe maybe you just fight and use a silver dragon stat block and, you know, what was the point? Alternatively, you know, maybe he goes, "No, no, listen to me. I'm, I'm secretly a silver dragon who's been who's been transformed to look like a red dragon." And then the PCs may or may not believe them. Maybe he's secretly a red dragon who's lying. Um, whatever the case, um, you know, that's one thing you could do. Another thing that that could certainly be fun, um, you know, the next time you're you're looking to populate your uh, your town or whatever, have an interesting non-combat encounter, uh, you know powerful but dragons don't necessarily have to either be allies or enemies you could have a dragon um you know might, it would be very memorable i imagine if the pcs discovered that the local potion shop or what have you was run by a, a you know adult copper dragon uh obviously it would need to be a much bigger potion shop or or he would need to be polymorphed and that loses a little bit of the wonder uh similarly though um you know the you can have you, you can put, put dragons, especially silvers, and I, I think golds are also able to take human form. Uh, you, you can put those in various positions uh, amongst NPCs. Uh, if they never becomes important that they're dragons, then that is less good. But, you know, um, it can certainly also be a, be a fun surprise late in the game to find out that somebody's a dragon. Uh, again, probably going to work better if you've got a... a dragon or like a red dragon who's secretly a crime lord or, or rather a, a crime lord who's secretly a red dragon than if the local priest of bahamut is you know a, a gold dragon surprise surprise uh, also who cares um but you know uh those are those are definitely ways that you can approach that yeah, uh, I mean there there is a there's a lot to do there and uh and you know they they don't necessarily have to be so you know I'm a good dragon. You've come to me. Do what I say now. Or um, I'm good, so you have to. Or, or you know, whatever. But uh. yeah, that's that's also true. Another thing is, you know, uh, as as that book that I was just reviewing points out, you know, they um, just because they're good doesn't mean that they're not dragons. And dragons are very attached to treasure. Uh, it's entirely possible that you know sometimes your uh your your copper dragon or whatever may take it upon himself to uh he 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 might be overwhelmed with uh with gold lust and he might decide to go do some sort of questionable things in order to get it probably not going to slaughter women and children but you know he might uh he might hold up a caravan and say no this is this is my gold now you may leave uh it you know sort of depends also of course uh going back to the 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 misunderstandings it's entirely possible that you know the gold dragon may have been told that the pcs are evil of course it's also possible or, or that the town is full of evil people it's also possible that um that you know maybe maybe the town is harboring like there's there's one necromancer somewhere in the town he's very important for whatever reason and if the pcs can't find him in time and deliver him up to the great worm gold dragon then he's going to burn the entire town to the ground just to be safe uh, there's there's always that interpretation of uh, you know good despite the the consequences or whatever sort of thing. Yeah, and you know I mean obviously you can have conflict between uh, between two good characters. Uh, you know there's there's a lot of uh, room for having conflicting motivations that could lead to uh, 
that that could lead to struggle you know uh, particularly if you if you have one group that uh that is looking to champion something more uh more like let's expand civilization and then you have a uh you have a gold dragon who's you know more inclined to like not have them slaughter a bunch of wood nymphs or whatever as they're clearing their path or you know you could have like a religious conflict going on or there's lots of you know there's a there's a lot of room there uh so there there could be direct conflict in that regard um you know obviously there's there's more to dragons than that uh, that it's harder to use good ones than uh than evil ones so uh since we're running sort of low on time let's uh let's move on to talking about um using dragons in uh in, in your game for practical purposes uh, I know a lot of the time, uh, particularly before you've established the overall story and maybe don't have room for the dragon anymore, uh, you know, your campaign is, is you know, too low of a level to really feature the, the traditional big giant dragon. And so there's uh, that, that begs the question of should I use a dragon at all? Uh, I mean, a, a medium juvenile dragon isn't necessarily all that exciting, but there, there are other things you can do to... Uh, to, to use dragons or, or to have dragons around that, that, that let you sort of capture a lot of the, uh, the, the essence of the, the ambience without actually having to make them fight a, a colossal creature. Yeah, uh, one, of the, one of the fun things that you see in, in other fantasy mediums a lot, and you know you do occasionally get it bantered around for, uh, for Dungeons & Dragons, but uh, you don't see as much of is, is things involving, for example, like dragon eggs. Um, you know, it, it's always a fun adventure hook. Hey, the PCs find some dragon eggs mysteriously, and maybe maybe people want them back. Maybe the mother wants them back, or you know, maybe maybe there's a cult that really wants the the dragon eggs for whatever purpose, or or all sorts of other things. And PCs have to protect the dragon egg, and then maybe if they do a good job, it'll hatch, and and the wormling will be uh, will be attached to them, and then can be friendly, and blah 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 blah. Um, you know, along similar lines with uh, with with smaller dragons, it's um, it sometimes seems like like wormlings are kind of lame because you know they're it's like it's a wormling. How how bad can it really be? And on top of that, like you know, wormlings wormlings really shouldn't fit the uh, the general archetype for dragons. It seems odd to consider a, a hatchling of any type to be, you know, super intelligent and scheming and cunning and all of that. Uh, well, that may also be, uh, that, that may just be a, a, a great reason why you can use them. You just don't need to use them in that way. For example, uh, while it would probably be a little bit lame to have an adventure where uh, you fight a bunch of kobolds who are worshipping a wormling dragon as their god, and I'm pretty sure I've seen that somewhere, and, you know, may maybe it worked out well there, but um, seems sort of, we really want to shoehorn in a dragon, but you're only fourth, fifth level, so I guess it's a wormling. Uh, you know, I instead of that, you could have, you know, uh, especially if the PCs are maybe just a little bit higher level than that. Maybe they are fighting a, a, a dragon-worshipping or, or reptile-worshipping cult, and they have, for whatever, they've acquired some, some wormling dragons. They got some eggs, and they've got the... And the, these dragons, you know, they're they're more of the, the monster dragons. They're more of the basic uh, things. And then, then you get the classic... Um, you know, fantasy thing where they, they push you in the pit and you're in the nest of, of three recently hatched, uh, obviously in the movies it's the pterodactyls, but, uh, you know, they're hungry and they're going to rip you apart for food uh, is, is, you know, that's a perfectly, uh, you know, that, that's certainly going to be an encounter people will be, will be interested in not dying in. 
Yeah, the same idea might hold true for uh, for like you know the you're in the hatchery. Maybe there's a couple of eggs hatched. You can have some wormlings flying around, and you can examine it from more of a let let's have an interesting encounter that's going to be a memorable fight and less of a it's memorable because there's a dragon there. Uh, so I mean, th there's a lot to be said for that. That's personally, I always find that the mid-sized ones are kind of the uh, kind of the odd man out, but there's there's room for them too in a lot of the same kind of ways. I I, I would also recommend either using them as uh, you know the 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 sort of brutal monsters like like from Reign of Fire or the, those movies where they fly around and burn stuff, and I mean they have tanks in those, but you know. That that kind of guy, or or even a uh, a dragon who maybe wants to uh wants to prove himself. Maybe he's young, so he's a little overambitious, something like that. I think could be exciting. Where maybe he makes some mistakes. The uh, the larger dragon wouldn't sort of uh, adds a human element to the uh, to the super ultra magic beasts. Yeah, I also definitely think you know when when the dragons are gonna be you know younger, they're a little bit they're smaller. Obviously, they're less immediately physically imposing. They don't have as much magical ability. So you know, I, I could definitely see uh, you know that might make a more interesting villain if you've got uh, a local crime syndicate or whatever is being secretly run by you know like a, a juvenile, like a medium size or large size dragon. You know, you can get some interesting stuff there where you know he obviously considers all of these pathetic humans beneath him. But, you know, he doesn't have a cave. He has a, you know, penthouse suite because he's not that big. And, you know, he's he has to rely on them. He doesn't, you know, act like he's human. He's just a big like like maybe he has a fancy, you know, I, I envision him in like some sort of, you know, like like reclining on a couch, uh, I think would uh, like or like a big padded thing, I think would be uh, would definitely take a lot of PCs by surprise when they walk into the uh, to the bad guy's lair. And he's, you know, um a lot more humanized than most dragons are because he's human size. He's interacting with humans. He can't really, you know, go fight dragons. But at the same time, you know, he, he still holds everyone around him in, in, in contempt because they're not, you know, dragons. Yeah, uh, that that is exciting. Uh, obviously, a lot of times when you see a dragon in uh, in an environment where, where he's in a human shape, that's the most memorable guy. I mean, uh, take Nicol Bolas, for example. I mean, you know, he's excited. He's reading a book is uh, is very interesting, and that's part of what makes him so memorable. Or, you know, rather he used to be. Yeah, well, you know, we uh, new art notwithstanding. <laughs> anyway, um, it does look like we are, uh, like we're running out of time, though, so... Um, you know, uh, thanks for uh, for joining us, listening to our uh, our exciting talk about Dragon. Next week we are uh, we are back on our regular theme week schedule, so it will be Enchantment Week podcast. Uh, so look forward to that. Have a great day.